Good morning, Vietnam. (laughs) (laughs) I've always wanted to do that. Oh, man. Always. (laughs) So what are you talking about the intricacies with jujitsu? Like with you, you're very methodical in what you do. Like anytime I go with you, you always want to either work like turtle escapes, pin escapes, or anything that involves you playing a defensive game. And I feel that separates you from a lot of people in the gym because you work on the defensive of jujitsu before offensive in jujitsu. And I find your defense is as good as your offense. So I'm assuming your offense will be just as good as your defense. And that you feel a lot, not a lot of guys work on the defense. hundred percent. Like I'll, I'll, I'll just play it like a loose floppy guard just so people pass me and I have to try to figure out ways to get out that's basically my whole game when I'm training is I don't really care if I get beat up or not Um, I'm there to learn and I feel the best way to learn is play defense yeah well that's the essence of what jujitsu is yeah because you don't really want to use it as offense you use it when you need to leave yeah (laughs) you're like nah I don't want to be here I'll just push here and stand up Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> yeah. I have to go home to my wife and kids. Yeah. <laughs> I really, I can't be here fighting with anybody. Yeah. <laughs> so what got you into doing the safety gig? Oh, with work? Yeah. Um, I worked in uh, the oil patch for a really long time and I seen a lot of weird, like bad things happen. Like I seen a guy lose half his hand, seen people get squished by pipe so have a hand you mean what happened was uh we were running a string of casing to cement in the well to start the production phase it was eight inch casing so it was like an eight inch slide that had handles you wrap it around the casing smack off the protector on the bottom and i'd worked with this guy for like six months and we worked together on the floor i'd always tell him just to have a rope for when you knock that protector off, grab your rope and then walk in your casing because your casing can get stuck in the elevators and you can have like six to 10 foot overhang out of your elevators, right? So if that happens and you're holding it from the bottom, what's going to happen, right? You know what I mean? So that casing can fall that six to 10 overhang yes. right onto your hand. Yeah. And in between another casing. Uh, it Actually, it was on the floor because he dropped really low and he grabbed the casing from the bottom with these from his middle finger to his point pinky and it dropped and he his fingers were still in his glove and his glove was cut off on the floor what happened after that what'd you guys do to manage this um i stayed where i was because i didn't want to see any of that and there was 10 guys on the floor already so they threw his fingers in ice and wrapped him up as best they could and took him into drayton valley and I think from Drayton Valley, he got rushed into Edmonton. And what's the outcome of his hand now? Um, he They saved it. But he has like very little mobility in his fingers. But he has all three of those fingers he lost yeah, back. Yeah, I, I think I don't. I think these two move, but his pinky doesn't move. Oh, really? Yeah. So the so, middle and ring move in the... Oh, man. Yeah, I called him. He came back like a year later and I called him Shooter McGavin. <laughs> oh, man. It it was it was a bad situation that could have been a lot worse for sure. Oh, so that got you on the safety drain? No, 
<laughs> um, I, I seen a bunch more stuff. Like I, I worked in the oil field for seven years after that. And then I was just tired of it. And then I moved, I moved home and I was just doing odd jobs like drywalling and stuff like that. And, and then I got a job opportunity with Northridge and we ended up going on a fishing trip and I was talking to the safety guy there and I was like, what do I, what, what does a guy have to do to become like a safety officer? And he named off all these courses that I had to take. And I was like, well, I, I would be interested in doing that whenever, whenever you decide to step down or just don't want to do it anymore. And here we are. What made you continue with the oil field for another seven years after witnessing so many accidents? The money. <laughs> the money with the money was nice but i i come to learn after being gone that that long i missed missed a lot of my daughter growing up so it was it was a fairly easy choice to not do that anymore so what was the breaking point that what made you finally pull the trigger uh i like she would cry every time i went to work and it was it was hard. It was just I didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. The that responsibility and the priorities finally shifted for you then? Yeah. Oh. So then what was your steps to become the safety guy? Uh lots of courses. Um I think I needed like thirteen. And I got I have twelve of the thirteen now. I had the 13 but I missed uh, the deadline on a proficiency so I have to retake that course again what's a proficiency like doing interviews and stuff like that for like course certification and stuff like that I have to interview workers and see if they see if we pass the like an audit essentially yeah it's like a safety audit training course and then you have to do a self audit and then a company audit then you got to send all your paperwork in to, to the office, and then they send it into the SCSA. Then if you fail, they send you your form back with the corrections you need to do, and if you pass, they just send you an email with your certificate. Oh, so that audit, you had to bring up some deficiencies? Yeah. So what's a common deficiency you've seen in your field? Uh a lot of housekeeping deficiencies. Guys don't like to clean up after themselves. And that's a huge problem because you step on something like some of the some of the like buildings and stuff have ice on the floors. You can slip on that, break something, fall downstairs, or you have no guardrails up on big flights of stairs going up and it's it's a common thing. Like it doesn't get it's not that it gets bypassed. I just think people just don't think outside the box really they're just like okay we got this done now we can move on to this without thinking of doing the the next step for safety oh so putting up a temporary guardrail yeah or cleaning up as you're working yeah yeah it just gets bypassed because we deal with a lot of trades not a lot of our our own company builds it's all like piecework out and stuff like that Oh, so it's other companies. separate entities coming in yeah. and they all don't have a universal code of what to do yet. Yeah. It's almost like you need to have a, like a meeting every, every, every other day to, 
to get stuff going. There's different different guys in all the time, whether it's plumbing, concrete, drywall, framing, finishing, countertops, <laughs> painters. Uh, the spectrum of people that comes in is pretty wild. Now that I'm doing going to be doing the safety side, it's I just bounce around from site to site, kind of seeing what's done, what's not done. Are they being safe? Are they not being safe? And then you just, I just have to fill out this job assessment or hazard assessment or pre-job inspection. There's so much yet I still have to learn. It's, it's going to be crazy. (laughs) (laughs) As you started learning, what really popped out to you? I just like helping people, man. I, I don't want anybody to like at the age I'm at right now, I don't want, I, I assume everybody has a family and I just want people to go home safe, go home in one piece, like go home and be able to hug your kids, right? Not, um, I'll give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, I was on a site in Warman and there was this guy, he was up in a boom lift, didn't have a hard hat on, didn't have his um, lanyard on or anything. It's just up in this boom lift, 20 feet in the air, not a care in the world. I was like, okay. So I, I was standing on the front of the front stairs of the house. I was like, Hey man, like you want to do me a favor? He's like, what's that? I was like, do you want to get down from there and put your hard hat and your harness on? And he just kind of looked at me like I was stupid or something. And I was, he got down, went to his truck. So I just assumed he was getting his, his PPE. And then I just walked into the house, did what I had to do inside, came back outside. There he is back on the lift no hard hat no harness and I was like hey man like my name's Adam I'm gonna be the safety guy with Norris Ridge you need to get down from there and get your PPE on or I'm gonna send you home then he's like well good for you the fuck out of here kind of thing and just told me to beat it and so I was that kind of got me upset and I just I'm I wasn't sure of the steps to do yet and so I was talking to one of the bosses and he's like, do you want me to fire him? Do you want me to fire him? I'll fire him right now. (laughs) And I was like, I don't really want that. I'm going to, I want to try to deal with this and be as like, you want to be as diplomatic as possible. Yeah. And so my foreman got a hold of me. He's like, Hey, I'm going to handle this. Just don't worry about it. And I was like, okay, man, like this comes back to bite me in the ass. It's not going to be good. And 20 minutes later, he was back there. I guess he had to go home and get his hard hat and stuff. So he came back with his PPE. But that shouldn't, that stuff like that shouldn't happen. You shouldn't, you know, you're going to a construction site. (laughs) It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. (laughs) What do you think the disconnect is? I, I think, I think it's because it's not a commercial site. They feel like the rules don't apply as much on like, uh, residential construction as it would in commercial, which doesn't even, it doesn't even compute with me the same. It doesn't make sense. You're still on a construction site. You're still at a place where bad things can happen. You can get hurt. People, people using power tools equals bad. Like, well, not bad as long as they're like used properly. You know what I mean? It's, well, it increases the risk. It increases the risk a hundred percent, but it's just some people just don't understand yeah so they feel Mm -hmm. a fall on a residential site isn't as bad as a fall on a commercial site yeah 
<laughs> how does that does, does it doesn't even make sense yeah. <laughs> yeah so how do power tools increase the risk what have you seen oh i've seen like people just doing dumb stuff with them like a like an auger tool to drill through joists i i, I seen one guy this Wait, was, hold on so what's it so you're drilling between joists inside the house inside the house yeah just to run like piping and stuff through them okay i gotcha yeah i seen one guy uh, drill it into the ground and then kind of lay on it like an ice like I've, I've seen it on youtube too with guys with ice augers but he tried like this thing is i don't know two feet it, it's super powerful and he put the biggest auger like the whole <laughs> auger he could on it and he was just he laid on it and he just was holding the button super close and he was kind of just spinning really slow i was like oh my goodness people are crazy oh the auger was spinning him yeah, it, well, he was, was laying on top of the tool. <laughs> <laughs> but do they have an auger course? I don't think so. Yeah, <laughs> you would you would think they would need something like that, especially with like a lot of the a lot of the people coming up, like the young generation that's coming up right now. I find a lot of them aren't that smart. Well, hold on. What do you mean not that smart? I'm I'm not that like. Mm easily manipulated like i just feel uh people are a little softer than like when i was growing up oh so they're more easily exploited yeah i feel i could be wrong because i try not to pay attention to a lot of that stuff but like i pay attention to my 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 child and I feel she's going to be very smart just because she was brought up with like discipline and dis- disciplinary actions, you know? Oh, yeah. There's a consequence. For yeah. A, whereas, or a natural consequence. Yeah. Whereas some some children growing up now don't fear the consequences of their actions. Well, maybe not even fear, but they don't understand the repercussions of their actions. Yeah. That makes that. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Because I think if you're making your child fear you, that's you're coercing them. You want them to consent to want to do this. Oh, yeah. How come I'm putting my seatbelt on? Oh, that okay. I understand the reason to put a seatbelt on. Yeah, it's not they're fearful of you doing something. That, okay, here here's the science. Here's how it works. Yeah, here's here's what happens if you don't wear a seatbelt, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it can happen. Yeah. <sighs> so then, what? In the courses that you were taking, mm-hmm. what surprised you when you started going through all these 13 the, courses? The paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> the paperwork is crazy. Like, if I would have just let let that kind of be and that guy f- fell and hurt himself and people were like, oh, that guy told him. And then they'd, they would be like, uh, Adam, where's uh, do you have the paperwork did, that you wrote up? I'd be like, nope. And then my ass would be grass. You, everything's got to be Everything's got to be. Oh, yeah. Safety is crazy. It is. It's not something to be like, <laughs> no. taken. T- you don't take it lightly at all, especially if like it comes to an injury, like fatal or nearly fatal injury. If you don't have all your ducks in a row, you're you're in some trouble. You could do jail time for sure. Say if I missed something in my paperwork and they went over that and we had to go to court, that that would be on me. How are you handling this now that you realize you go to jail? Same as I would like with anything else. 
I just do do the best I can and hopefully I don't miss anything. It's it's going to be crazy. <laughs> Man, that's a lot of mental load. Yeah. Especially with sometimes people are resisting. Yeah, it's that that part is annoying. But it's that's what people do, right? It life life wouldn't be life without a little bit of pushback, I I feel. Yeah, well, it'll help you learn to handle those situations. Oh, you're going to get a lot of them. I I feel I feel um like if if I would have taken on this position before I started jujitsu, I would have been like I would have just like snapped like instantly after that guy said that to me. But with with training jujitsu, it's taught me to be a lot more patient, not so rambunctious. I'll still clash with people. Yeah. But it's it wouldn't be it's not gonna be the same outcome it would have been four years ago where it just would have ended up in a yelling match or something. Now I'll just be like, okay, see you later, go home. I, I won't put up with it. So how did jujitsu help that? Uh, it's calmed me down, like a lot. I'm still quite an angry person, I think. I have a lot of like demons and stuff, but work through those. And and I feel like it's, I let my guard down when I when I do jujitsu, I think. So you're okay being vulnerable with uh, the guys at the gym? Yeah. Yeah, you trust 100%. them? Yeah. It's probably that safe, trusting environment then because 100%. You're, you're placing a lot in this guy not breaking a limb or not strangling you unconscious when yeah. you tap. Like um, the other day, for example, like, uh, like I can't remember what you had me in. You had me in some kind of choke. And I was like, I'm going to see how long I can like hold on to this. And like, I, was, I was like, okay, that's, that's tight. And then I tapped, you let go, and like, you know that tingly feeling you get all over your body? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I got. And I was like, ah, fuck, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) Controlled danger? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're battling these demons, what techniques have you found work? Nothing really helps. They're always there. Childhood trauma is fucking nuts. And you think you have it under control, but then... Just like it could be something that makes you think of that time period in your life and you're just like, fuck, then boom, there it is again. Oh, you get triggered. Yeah, but I don't, I'm pretty stone faced when it comes to that stuff because of course the trauma is there, but if I could, if I could go back and change what happened as a child, I don't think I would. I, I don't believe I would be the same person I am today if what happened to me didn't happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't yeah. feel I don't feel I would have the outlook on on life that I have if that didn't happen. Yeah, though yeah. it was a dark time, you kind of appreciate who it made you become. Yeah, yeah, it made me. It helped me be the father I am. It helped me be the person I am. I'm not saying I'm a fantastic person, but well, really, who is a fantastic person? You got well, you got to be working on yourself every day. Yeah, a hundred percent. We don't we don't grow up fantastic, man. We no. don't start out that way. Yeah, <laughs> we we start out fantastic, and we become more a little uh, <laughs> little crazy as time goes on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, we all carry little scars with us, and you don't really notice they're there until it really gets triggered. Yeah. Yeah. And then <laughs> you're like, damn. <laughs> that's fucking wild <laughs> well, i didn't know that was there <laughs> whoops <laughs> right yeah so what kind of gear on site are you using to, to help people be safer then 
It depends on the job, really. Like, um, say you're using an angle grinder. You just want to ensure the guards are on, make sure you have all the handles in place. Like, you don't want to come onto a, a site with a, a guy using a zip disc with no guard or handle on that thing. Like, <laughs> how, how are you going to handle the kickback? Like, your wrists are, f- like... <laughs> They're not they're they're not as strong as the rest of your body. Like if, if something kicks or whatever, it's gonna bump your wrists and yeah, it's coming at you. Yeah, then. yeah, it's fucking scary, man. I've uh, cutting drill line on an oil rig. Like it's inch and a quarter drill line. Like it's it's thick stuff, or maybe even two inch drill line. And to cut that, like when when you do, uh, they do this thing called a slipping cut. They count the wraps that are on the 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 drum to take off so you gotta you gotta get up the derrick take all these like precautions tie the tie the top drive into the into the derrick and make sure everything's weighted down you gotta have a pipe in the hole so all the weights sitting in the slips it's crazy man so you're taking all the like essentially you're taking the drill line off the drum and then there's more drill line on another drum that gets fed through and then you take the new wraps and put them around the drum it's a it's a pretty crazy process takes like five six guys to do it so there's a drill line and, yeah and this drill is running vertically the drill is yeah okay. vertical um so you have this thing called the top drive and it has your like spool and stuff on it then you have your connecting piece into your for your drill pipe and stuff so you bring a pipe up you put it in the hole the top drive screws into the this drill pipe and then you put all the driller sets all the weight of the top drive into this pipe down the hole and then there's these um, slip lines you have to loosen off on the side of the derrick which in turn lets the drill line slip through go up the derrick swoop around in through the in through the top drive and I think there's like three or four spools on the top drive that it has to feed through and then at the bottom you walk down a flight of stairs to what they call the draw works is where your drill lines all spooled up on the on the drum that feeds the the derrick the line so they count how many wraps they want to take off or whatever it goes by um however much uh decks have been on that portion of drill line and by decks, I, I think it's like decadence or something like that. Okay. So what's the wraps? What is this? The the wraps of the drill line. So if you have to take off six wraps, they count it like a fishing like a fishing line. Okay. Gotcha. Right. So you have it just spools on like a fishing line, but it has grooves like grooves for the drill line to follow into. So you peel all that back, hang your draw like then a guy will get up on the on the derrick on the top drive and then he'll put a like a metal sling on the top drive to make sure the derrick doesn't go in, like the the top drive doesn't go anywhere so that weight won't shift and then we uh, take off the weight like the weight indicator to let you know how much weight is on the drill line and stuff like that then you take the you pull the get the wraps loose on the drum then there's a they call it i can't remember what they call it but it's like uh you have to use a pipe wrench to get it apart it's like about yay big 
Okay. It wraps around. It's like a clamp okay. that makes sure the drill line won't slip through. You take that off, take the drill line out, run that all back to where you find your chalk line. Then you cut it, feed that back through, and then you start counting your wraps because you feed from the the drill the drill line itself. This big, it's probably like ten thousand pounds of drill line. Okay, and it's spooled up, ready to feed to you. Yeah, and so we feed that in, and you're hitting it with a hammer just so it doesn't slip and go anywhere. And then once you get all your wraps, they tighten everything. You feed the more drill line up, tighten everything back up, and while this Derek is suspended above you, yeah, and hopefully not moving. Yeah, like if that started moving, that would be bad news. (laughs) <laughs> because there's nothing nothing the driller could do unless anything like everything was tight so you can't spool into it nothing so everything's shut down oh because you can't there's no control there's nothing grabbing it it's no. it's free there it's just you're it's hanging by that metal sling <laughs> and yeah it's it's pretty crazy the first time you see it because you can't put the drill line back into it because it's swinging and it's not stable enough yeah and so when when you're feeding your drill line through you can watch it you can watch the brand new drill line feed through everything. So what's the drill stuff. line for then? To hold the derrick or to hold the top drive up. Oh, so the reason you're replacing the drill line is it's getting worn out. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And you do that every four, like if you drill, say you drill like a 5,000 meter well, you'll probably do a slip and cut twice. Depending on how long, like if you have to do a big trip. And the trip is like pulling all the pipe out of the hole and stuff like that. Like if you have to trip a few times, you'll have to change your drill line for sure. What happens if you don't change the drill line at the correct interval? Then you just have to take more off the next time you do it. Oh, because it keeps wearing itself down more and more. Yeah. Yeah. It's just more of a safety precaution to do that than, than anything. Yeah, preventative action. Yeah. Let's say you never replaced it. What happens? Probably bad things. <laughs> <laughs> like once that drill line starts fraying, like I, I, uh, I had it hit my hand once. Like I just, I, I took my glove off just to get a bolt out and it just like, it swung and like just grazed my hand and it took like chunks of skin off my hand. It was, it was bad. So what made it so it took chunks of skin off? Just the, where... Like the end of it, yeah, just swung and like hit my hand. It's it's metal. Oh, so it's, it's frayed metal. Yeah, and it just like scraped. And there's like, I was bleeding, but it wasn't anything bad. But it was. I was like, damn, that like took skin off. And it well, imagine barely... that on the face or no, near an eyeball. That, ugh, that'd be terrible. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, what other things have you seen on site that are a little dangerous in the rigs? Then you become accustomed to a lot of stuff. It's like being on a drilling rig is like wild, wild west, man. Depending depending on the company you work for. Like I worked for rigs where like down in southern Saskatchewan, you would have guys on, uh, they call it the catwalk, is where you send pipe down to when you're coming out of the hole or bring pipe up that you need as when you're drilling. And uh, I've seen guys just holding on to pipe because it's icy and it just, they're just flying down this catwalk when the pipe's on the elevators. It's like, fuck, you guys are bananas. <laughs> it's crazy, man. So they're holding on the pipe. That's what's keeping them on this catwalk. No, no, it's, they're they're just, they like they could just let go and it it wouldn't make anything bad or 
whatever. They're just trying to slow it down before it hits the V-door. And the V-door is like a angled. It's like a slide, essentially, for the pipe to come up and go down. Oh, they're holding the pipe to hopefully slow it down with their hands. Yeah, and they're just being dragged across this fucking metal top. So how would you normally slow down that pipe? I wouldn't. Oh, you don't need to slow it down? No. Then what, what are they doing? They're just... I don't know. Oh, it's kind of... They're using it as a ski lift or something. Yeah, but I've, I've only seen one guy just grab a pipe and come up the V-door with it, and then... I was like, you're stupid. But did it look pretty sick? It did look badass. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Dangerous. <laughs> Dangerous, but cool. <laughs> that's just like anything, right? Yeah. <laughs> like it's it's like, would you wrestle a grizzly bear? Probably not. But would it be cool? Yeah. Yeah. If you, yeah. If you came <laughs> out of it pretty well. Yeah. yeah. That'd be pretty sick. I got I started uh, watching um, this TV show with my daughter. It's on uh, National Geographic. It's called Something Bit Me. And we we're watching this one episode and this guy was, I can't remember where, where in the States it was. I want to say Minnesota, not Minnesota, Montana. And he was like a, a trail builder in the mountains and stuff like that. So he'd be walking these trails and I guess he went out one day and he was just on a hike scouting for hunting and stuff like that. And while well, he's seen this grizzly bear with her cubs and what she did was she took off and then ran with the wind in her face to kind of get behind him and smell what he was and she turned around and as he was walking away she attacked him and he got like she just he got down like played dead did whatever you're supposed to do and then he got out looked at himself with like a mirror or whatever and he's pretty bunged up he had a chunk of scalp hanging down and so he's walked maybe like two kilometers and then all of a sudden he hears her again like she rushes him again and just has her way with him has yeah beats him up again and then she leaves and then he has a six kilometer walk back to his truck so this whole walk back to his truck he's doesn't know if this bear is going to come back or what's going to happen. So this guy makes it to his truck, calls the ambulance. They're like, we're not going to be able to be there for however long. So he drives himself all the way to the hospital, which is like 40 kilometers away. And then he gets to the hospital and there's all these police and stuff in there. <laughs> and when he gets, gets inside, everybody's like applauding this guy because he, gets attacked by a grizzly bear not only once but twice and takes himself to the hospital gets fixed up and yeah he still still walks those same trails but he doesn't go alone anymore <laughs> wouldn't that be something what a the amount of perseverance that guy had insane yeah like in his description of this attack he's like i've been i've i've wrestled when i was a kid but i've never felt so helpless in my life when that bear grabbed me it just felt like effortless for her to just toss me around that's bears are more powerful than anybody realizes oh it's crazy it is nuts bears bears are my favorite animal i <laughs> it's just something about them i like i i hunt and stuff like that it's just i don't feel that it's i don't feel i would ever have the heart to shoot one 
if I had to, if I had, like if, 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 if it, if it was, was suffering life, or something, if it was suffering, suffering then maybe or, or if it was my kids or, oh, or dead. us, I would you're, have to, you're dead bear, but I'm not hunting a bear for today. I don't know how good they taste. I, I tried bear once when I was a kid. It was pretty good. Oh, don't but tell me this. I, I, I don't, uh, yeah, that's the <laughs> first, first and only time I've ever tried it. Yeah. But, um, I just don't feel I would have the heart to shoot a bear. I feel that they're, they have, they have like human traits in a way, like of how protective they are and how psychotic they can be. <laughs> Classic. Right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird. How many bear encounters have you had? I had one with a grizzly bear when I was working up in Nunavut. It was working up there was probably one of the coolest experiences of my life, for sure. When I was up there 2010, and my my driller, his his name was also Adam. He's like, hey, go to the survival shack and grab my backpack. This was at like three in the morning. Sun's still like, sun's just just about to go below the horizon. And then it just pops back up. It, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> And, um, so I, I opened the door and a do the, the door to this little diamond drilling rig is just a piece of plywood with a two by four that latches. And so I open this thing and I see this Volkswagen grizzly bear licking the pipe dope off these, uh, tubes. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like thrown back. Like, I, I wish I like would have seen my face when I seen that. And I just slowly closed the door. And I was like, your backpack's going to have to wait for a little bit. <laughs> He's like, why? I was like, well, like, so where we were, there's, <laughs> there's this big opening in the roof with a ladder where you can go when you have to pull the, the rods out of the hole. Yeah, I go up into this little basket and I just pull them back there. And so I was like, let's go sit up there for like, let's go. I got, I got something to show you. Let's go sit up here. And we sat, went and sat up there and he's like, oh my God, that's, that's a fucking grizzly bear. I was like, I know, right? I thought for sure we would have seen a polar bear before we would have seen a grizzly bear. And um, so we sat up there, the bear rummaged around for like two hours and then just took off, just left. It was, it was a super cool experience just to be <laughs> that close and the animal just didn't care the pipe dope was more delicious than you at that the time. pipe dope was more delicious oh, i guess it was, it's, i think it's because they um used uh some sort of fish oil in the pipe dope which i think that's why the bear was all about it then yeah. looking at the trip like the footprints after the bear left in the snow it was it was crazy like two of my hands couldn't fit in in the pot. So large serving plates. <laughs> yeah. It was it was crazy. And you got that close because I was you opened I, the door. When I opened the door, it was the distance from me to you away. <laughs> so you're six feet from this bear. Yeah. And it, it didn't notice you. It it kind of like turned its head, and that's when I kind of closed the door. <laughs> kind of <laughs> closed the door. <laughs> it was it was wild, man. Yeah. And uh we I also seen uh a pack of wolves take out a caribou. How'd they do it? So where our camp was, it was kind of on the edge of a lake. And with it being daylight, 24 hours, I'd never seen it before. The, the ice started melting in the middle of the lake first and kind of worked its way outwards. And we're, me and my, 
my driller were sitting there having breakfast one morning because we just got off night shift. Well, it's not even, can't even say it's night shift when it's daylight, 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, we were just sitting there having breakfast and over the, like on the hill across the lake, I see this caribou just come booking. It was first caribou, I've, wild caribou I seen. I was like, oh, look at that. Like there's caribou over there taking off. And then 30 seconds later, there's like seven wolves chasing this thing. I was like, oh, this is going to get interesting. And where that, where the lake was melting, the caribou thought it was a good idea to jump in the water. And then one wolf jumped in the water, like, and started like trailing this caribou. And all the other wolves kind of just like took up little points waiting for this caribou to come out of the water. So that one wolf is in there just trying to draw him out and get him back onto the ice. And one wolf was like grabbing at its neck. And I think there was like three of them that eventually like pulled it out by like one had it like by here, one had it behind the head and the other one kind of had it by its shoulder. I was, I was watching with the spotting scope they had in the, in the breakfast room. Yeah, it, was, it was a crazy thing to see, man. Nature is, nature is vicious. Nature is brutal. Yeah. <laughs> but they wanted the most advantage they could get. Oh, they're, they're, they're a smart animal. Well, yeah. Well, if you get injured and you're an animal in the wild, now you're fair game for everybody else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, it, and, and it's funny too, because like animal protesters are like, oh, hey, that hunting is so inhumane, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Hunting is like the most humane way those animals will die. If you shoot an animal in the heart or whatever, they're not going to feel it. They'll just feel tight. Like they might feel the initial ouch. If you if you hit them in the heart, they're they're dead in like 30 seconds. They're just going to go to sleep. Yeah. But that caribou was there the whole time. Oh, yeah. He was. Yeah. <laughs> He's feeling that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's, there's, no, there's, there's no way you're not feeling that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's. It, <laughs> So what made you enjoy Nunavut so much? I seen every animal I wanted to see when I was there. It was amazing. So what's the list you wanted to see? I wanted to see muskox. I, the only, the, sorry, I shouldn't say I seen every animal I wanted to see. I didn't, I, I wanted to see a, a polar bear as opposed to a grizzly bear because I didn't, I honestly didn't think I would see a grizzly bear way up there and uh, never seen a, never seen a polar bear, seen the grizzly bear which was like a life lifelong goal of mine to see a wild grizzly bear. I've seen a herd of like 5,000 caribou. 5,000? I, I, it, was, it was well over 1,000. I lost count at like 900, and there were still... Yeah, droves and droves. Tons. It was oh, crazy. That's got to be an experience. That was nuts. Like um, with the... The company I was working for, they said if if we seen a herd of more than a hundred caribou, we had to shut the drill down because they don't want their migration patterns messed around with up there. I I wish I had a camera like that one when I was up there <laughs> because I took I took some cool pictures with like this was fourteen years fourteen years ago. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, phone the, camera technology has advanced a lot. Yeah, like I took this one cool picture of like the ice because it it rained there for a couple of days and the ice on the water looked like crystals like because you could see where like all the it it, it looked amazing all the drops are coming in and freezing yeah and it just made the made it look like a bunch of little 
like have you ever like held like a crystal at a store or something yeah, like that totally. that's, that's exactly how they looked a mini fortress of solitude there yeah <laughs> and i and i took this photo i kind of held my phone down by the water and just had like there was some uh, ice that fell over which looked like like fallen crystals or whatever and it just it was like just the coolest picture i've ever taken and yeah it got lost with time that one oh, I, I i wish i still had that photo like yeah. I had a bunch of cool pictures. I had like we got me and my driller went fishing and there was this little native guy who's called the the wildlife watcher. Like he was there to like find wildlife and like obviously record it and how close to camp it was, so on and so forth. So we had to take a radio with us wherever we went just in case like we came across a predator or whatever, like something aggressive that wanted to like hurt us. And so it's like midnight. We're walking back from fishing because we're heading home the next day. And long behold, we get put up on a rock by a little musk ox. Like that thing wanted to kick the shit out of us. <laughs> <laughs> and they're they're not big. Like I would say they're about the size of a Great Dane, but they're strong, right? They're like an an ox. And they have the tools to hurt you. You have these yeah. fragile hands, man. Yeah, they have. They have this big <laughs> lump of bone on their forehead. <laughs> yeah, totally. And spikes on the sides. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I always thought they were part of like the buffalo family, but turns out they're more of a, a sheep. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes was, sense with the horns and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah how I they gotcha. how they have that curl and like yeah. the big clump right on the front, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of cool. <laughs> and uh, one of the other experiences... Oh, so yeah, we had to radio the wildlife guy to be like, hey, we <laughs> come help us out. <laughs> and uh, another experience I had... Hold was, on, you radioed him, then what did he do to help you? Oh, he brought... Um, he had a shotgun with those rubber... Those uh, <laughs> the rubber bullets. Yeah. So he shot the muskox once or twice and it buggered off. <laughs> oh man how'd the muskox handle getting hit oh he he didn't like it he like grunted and stuff and then just took off and then stopped then took another one and never came back another cool exp well i had a couple more uh experiences up there they have do you have you ever heard of a ptarmigan a ptarmigan yeah never it's it's like an arctic prairie chicken and they <laughs> they make this a weird sound when they when they fly like, well, I shouldn't say when they fly, even when they're on the ground. It sounds like they're saying fuck. <laughs> like, no joke. Like, if you, like, I'll show you after. It, it, it sounds phenomenal. But uh, my, me and my driller came up with this bet. He's like, the first one of us to kill a ptarmigan has to, whatever, gets 10 bucks. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm into that. <laughs> and, uh, like two or three days later, I seen this ptarmigan just bouncing around out by the, our survival shack. So I went and grabbed this pipe wrench. Like, I didn't think I was going to hit this thing. And it like just starts running away. And I chucked this pipe wrench and I ended up clipping it in the head, killing it. I was like, nice, I got 10 bucks. But I also want to see how this animal tastes. So we had we had a wood-burning stove in the survival shack. So I cleaned it up and... I think I had some salt and pepper in my backpack. I put it on there, let it 
marinate for like a couple hours and then I, I cooked it. It was not the best tasting animal I've ever had, but we ate it and it was, it was like mediocre. I just think it's because of the vegetation in the winter is not that. Oh, there's uh, not a lot of vegetation there in the winter. N- no. And it, it wasn't the best. So, <laughs> but I got 10 bucks out of the deal and I got to eat a Arctic animal. Yeah. And so. it was ethical. You didn't do this for fun. No. You still ate the animal. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing that was really cool up there is uh, we seen this big black wolf kind of like, I want to say a couple hundred yards away from the drill. My driller was like 20 bucks says, you don't try to get close to that thing. It was like, you're on. So I put my, put my like uh, walking boots on. Cause when we're working on the drill, you have these like, uh, you know, those metal plate steel toes that have the lace covers on them. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah they're, they're a rubber boot like that, that, and they're super uncomfortable. So I just put my regular boots on, then I'm going after this wolf, and I'm probably 40 feet away, and then it kind of just turns around and looks at me. I was like, oh, God. And then I kind of looked closer at it, and it was just, like, covered in blood. I was like, okay, well, he's not hungry, so I'm just going to slowly back up and go back to back to the drill. I've, I've never – yeah, that was stupid, but it was it was cool. high high risk high risk low reward but high memory (laughs) yeah (laughs) there's no reward there like if that animal wanted to attack me it would have it would have had its way with me for sure 100 percent. yeah it was it was wild man being up there was cool (laughs) yeah so you got to see all the animals how was handling you said there's 24 hour sunlight yeah like it would at around 3 a.m the sun would just go below the horizon and by 3.30 it would be slowly coming back up. Going to bed at like 7.30 in the morning and then hearing helicopters buzzing around all day is like, fuck, this is brutal. (laughs) (laughs) How long were you out there for? Uh, Two months. How did it affect your life being out there with all the sun and not getting good sleep? Well, after like a couple weeks, I started like being more accustomed to the sounds and stuff like that so by the time i went home i was pretty accustomed to be being there and like sleeping during the day when i got home i got home on canada day so july 1st when it got dark for the fireworks i was like wow this is a trip <laughs> this is a night sky <laughs> yeah i haven't seen one of these in forever <laughs> It's astounding how fast we can forget things. Oh, it's it's nuts. And it it's like the appreciation for it. It was a trip for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So then you were drilling for diamonds up there? No, uh, we, we use, they call them diamond drilling rigs. But we were drilling for uranium, like trying to trying to find hot spots so they can start mining something. It's super shitty because... It's so beautiful up there, man. Like, and by the time I went home, all the snow was gone. And walking on the tundra is weird. It's it's hard to walk because it's all like, like you're always trying to find a balance point. But it's like walking on pillows. It's so soft. You can feel like a water buoyancy underneath it a little bit. Ooh, so almost walking on a waterbed. Yeah. It's like, because it's all moss. Dude, that's disorienting. Once it, you get on solid ground. Yeah, it was weird. 
<laughs> Super weird, but yeah. it, was, it was, I wouldn't, I, it was best experience I've ever had. Well, in nature anyways, I think. So what about the nature there was different? Everything. All the animals are different. Like there's like these little Arctic foxes. They're fucking ninjas. The same one stole my lunch three times. <laughs> what? I don't know how. Where was your lunch situated? I the first time he stole it, it was in the survival shack. Second time he stole it, it was in the drill with me, and he like ballsy little bastard snuck in, took my bag, and gone. What'd you pack for lunch? I had like sandwiches and there's a chocolate bar or two in there. And... <laughs> <laughs> Nothing super potent either. No. It was just maybe that fox was there just to fuck with me. <laughs> How many others had their lunches stolen? Uh, my driller had his lunch stolen a few times. Uh, Raven took his lunch the one time. Um, like any any raven I've seen here is like the size of a crow. The farther north you get, I think the bigger the the raven gets. They're like some of them. You see their beaks, and it's just like uh, my two fingers. They're thick. Yeah. <laughs> a, can you imagine getting pecked by one of those things? Try not to. Yeah. 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 That'd be a fist fight for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and it, how did it take the your drill buddy's lunch? It just piece by piece. Took a cookie, took a chocolate bar. How did he not stop this? I was infatuated. I had oh, to watch it. so you guys let it happen? Uh, yeah. I was okay, like, I understand now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, it was yeah. a spectacle. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, what the fuck? Like took a whole like Mr. Big Bar. Like, oh. Just grabbed it by its side, flew off with it. <laughs> that, that'd be a sick photo. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm taking this home with me. Right? You're, you're coming with me, pal. <laughs> so what other locations did you get to go to while you're on the rigs? I worked in Pink Mountain, uh, British Columbia, all over southern Saskatchewan. Um, worked a lot in northern Alberta. Uh, yeah. BC was probably the farthest I went with a drilling rig. Yeah. Yeah. So top dog is Nunavut. Yeah. What's second? Ontario. I went to my uncle's cabin when I was 19. It was, it was amazing. Cleanest water I've ever seen. Best fishing I've ever had. Uh, it was, it was awesome. Like, you know, uh, those like you see a nice little river like a river stream that's super shallow and it's got like that goldy goldy colored water like but it's like sorry i shouldn't say goldy but it's like super clear <laughs> yeah sh- but yeah, you can yeah. see like with all the leaves on the bottom of it or whatever kind of looks it gives it that gold tint or whatever it is yeah i feel you that's that's how the water was there it's crystal clear like you would you would be in the water all day and you'd get out and you'd like well, when I had hair, it'd like, I'd like wipe the water out of my hair and it'd like squeak. It was so clean. Just, <laughs> it, was, it was crazy, man. Yeah. It was fun. Man, it seems you really enjoy being in nature. I, I love being outside. Yeah. I love hunting, fishing, snowboarding, all yeah. that stuff. When did you figure you loved nature? Uh, first time I went hunting. Oh, yeah. how old were you? Uh, 12. How was that? It was crazy. <laughs> I, I was, um, it was my first year hunting. <laughs> I was given a gun from my dad's friend. Well, not given, but I was allowed to use it. 
that the sites weren't accurate. Like I, I could probably with an open sight gun, I could probably hit a gopher at a hundred yards when I was 12 years old. And with that gun, I couldn't hit anything at 20 yards. It was, just, it was weird because the sights were just off kilter a bit and it's, it just messed with me. I was like, why couldn't I just have my gun? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I wasted a lot of bullets that year on missing animals. I, I never ended up shooting a deer uh, until I was 16. 16, I shot my first deer. For me, even if I don't shoot something, I just enjoy being out there. Like there's this spot I go hunting. Um, do you know where Eagle Creek is? Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I go, I, I go out there by the Hutterite colony. I, I go to, I go talk to them to make sure everything's okay. I always hunt this the same spot, even like in minus forty. It's you you get back in there, even if you're hundred two hundred yards away from the stream. Like even when it's that cold, you can still hear the like the water rippling down there. It's and it's so quiet. You just sit there, watch deer, listen to listen to the stream go. It's it's I love it. Yeah, it's sort of a hard reset though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, feels good. It does. Yeah. It's nice. I always feel hunting when you go out, even if you don't get anything, you're still out in nature, and usually you're with a buddy or something. Yeah, and it's enjoy. It's an enjoyable walk or an enjoyable time where you can take that moment and be yeah, in you just, that moment. You just be in the moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 a good feeling. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's uh, yeah. If hunting hunting is definitely a good outlet for a lot of things too. Yeah. Yeah. So you get rattled sometimes at work or in your daily life. What are you doing to bring yourself back? Oh, jujitsu. What? A hundred percent. What? <laughs> jujitsu and my family are like leveling points for sure. So you come back to them or you go and do you, what do you, what do you mean? So you're frustrated and then you'll go to jujitsu frustrated? Yeah. hundred percent. Just balances me out. Okay. So as a child, like I seen a lot of violence, like stuff, stuff kids shouldn't see. And so violence never, I don't really get rattled by violent circumstances or anything like that. So I, I believe I find a comfort in it almost just because my upbringing and stuff like that. I shouldn't say comfort, but I've, I grew accustomed to it. Well, the familiarity. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think. Yeah, and I shouldn't say jujitsu is violent. It can be, but I just feel it brings me back to like ground level. It helps me forget about what's happening, like what doesn't happen. Jujitsu for me is like two hours away from everything. Oh, it kind of clears your slate then. Yeah. And refreshes you for the next day, or yeah. the next time. Yeah. I feel you. Well, Adam, hey, is there anything I haven't asked you? Oh, man, I think I think we're good. Hell yeah. All yeah. right, well, we'll close it out then. All right, thank you.